stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone. No, sir! No! There are no sugary drinks on the podium here in America! Welcome to Motorsport 101. Thank you very much for listening. This is episode 109 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. We are the Motley crew uh, filling in for the absent Andre Harrison. Uh, we are myself, RJ O'Connell. I'm joined from beautiful Bronx, New York by Mr. Ryan Eric King. Ryan, how are you, sir? Yeah, yeah. W- winter has arrived. Fall is over. We are not going to the fall classic here in the Bronx. No, that's that's because uh, that's because you all did not invent barbecue, and you certainly did not invent baseball. <laughs> we tried, we tried. It's okay. I'm I'm sure swinging for the fences on every at bat. That's uh, that's that's gonna be viable. No, actually, Yankees are gonna be good for a long time. That uh, I'm I'm envious. <laughs> from uh, from Glasgow, Scotland. Uh, one Miss Zoe Hamilton is back with us. Say hi, Zoe. <laughs> I'm just now going to wait very impatiently to see what the team announcement for Scotland rugby for the autumn test and then cry because we have no label, no grey, no brown. And Hardy's Uncle Kane. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. And uh, on this Allegedly. particular episode, with all the subject matter that is, uh, is being dealt with, I, we... We felt it only appropriate to have a professional racing driver, somebody who has shared the same circuit as Formula One and IndyCar royalty from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. We welcome back to the show, Charles Reginball. Say hi, Charles. Anyone miss me? Yeah, we did, but now now, now we need you more than ever because stuff has happened. Oh, buddy! Stuff has indeed happened. We had a uh, we had an eventful United States Grand Prix, um, where we saw history being made, a champion nearly on the verge of being crowned. We had an excellent couple of debuts, and nobody wanted to talk about it because of the last fifteen seconds of the race, and also the follow out that ensued. Also, um, stuff happened at IndyCar. We have new drivers now. F1's getting its own streaming deal. Um, and also, Mother Nature is undefeated. And Pierre Gasly had to learn this the hard way. So, um, just some general housekeeping before we get this particular show on the road. There are some places that you can find us. We're on YouTube at Motorsport 101. We are on Facebook.com at Motorsport 101. You can follow us on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Um, you, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Anywhere fine podcasts are to be had, including SoundCloud and Apple Podcast, And... If you want to follow it, if you want to back this show financially, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 and get early access not only to this show, but bike live on the Motorsport 101 network, which we promise is going to be worth your investment. 
if you were wondering where Mr. Andre Harrison is, he is going to be making a video blog about all of his thoughts about the United States Grand Prix, which you should see on the aforementioned YouTube channel by the time you're listening to this show. Um, if you want to follow us personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, at Wee Zoe, and at C Regimble Racing. Did I get that right? You did. Hey, wonderful. I'm good at my job. Somewhat. Mm. With that, with all the for with all the uh with all that mess out of the way, let's uh let's uh let's let's keep a one-on-one for a second. Does anybody want to share anything they've learned over the weekend, uh, over the past week in general, that has nothing to do with motorsport? Ooh, that has nothing to do with motorsport. Mm. I want to talk about the New York Yankees, but I feel like it's best I don't, because I'm, I'm not I'm not disappointed. I'm just a little let down because they are one game away from the World Series. But hey. I didn't think we were gonna make this make it this far. I didn't even think we were gonna be in the postseason. So, do you uh, do you remember um, way back in 2012 when The Rock had his birthday celebration on Monday Night Raw, and Michael Cole, who was uh, playing a bad guy character, yeah, imagine the the lead play by play man of a sporting brand playing the heel. I don't know, but uh, he came out in a Boston Celtics jersey, obviously to rile up the very pro Miami Heat crowd and uh, uh, the rock just looks into Michael's eyes gives him a big hug and a handshake and just says go heat and rock bottoms him right to the mat <laughs> oh my god King I gotta say this and I appreciate all your efforts go Astros <laughs> well I I'm really gonna enjoy the World Series I hope that the Los Angeles Dodgers could bring a World Series crown back to L.A. That would also be fine. I I like both these teams. This will if if my crappy baseball team cannot give me some solace of joy in this life, this decade, maybe even this century or the rest of this lifetime. This is gonna be a fun matchup. I don't care. Give me fun matchups with teams I can get behind. Yes. Mm. Zoe, what what in the world is wrong with Scottish rugby? I don't know. I was like, like it's coming up for the autumn tests, and this year we're playing New Zealand, Australia, and Samoa. And to be honest, I was kind of hyped because we're currently somehow sitting sixth in the world. We managed fifth earlier and then dropped back down, but sitting there thinking. We'll do well against Samoa. We might do well against Australia. Probably get crashed by New Zealand, but things could hopefully go well and we might move up a bit more. And then during the line tours, we almost lost Hog. Hog's now recovered. He just done the Glasgow Warrior game. And then our tiny captain, our five foot nine captain, 
got injured again. He has worn the Scotland strip for about one and a half games this year. I'm going to go to Murrayfield and he's not going to be there because he's stuck recovering again. We've also lost Fraser Brown and now apparently um, John Hardy has been allegedly using cocaine. He hasn't been tested positive for it, but he's allegedly used it, so he's got suspended from both club and country. <coughs> so now what was looking kind of po looking possibly going quite good is now possibly going to be a this three days of crying into Krabby's alcoholic ginger beer. Um <sighs> Yeah. This sounds like my typical sports experience. To be honest, it's it's peak Scotland. Oh my god. <laughs> like, generally when things are looking good, something has to go wrong. I mean, we were looking like we were possibly going to make it into the the knockouts for the the world the football World Cup, and we didn't. Andy Murray got to number one, and he had to go out because he needed surgery. Dario, you know. Jim, you know. <laughs> Paul DeResta, you know. I wasn't even going to bother. I was just, yeah. It's, it's, Im it's a pattern. The, the DeResta is implied. Yes, with the DC. And, yeah. I mean, when, at, at the last World Cup, Iron Brew did actually have a campaign a mock campaign to try and get Brazilians to come to Scotland to have kids with Scots in the hope that we'd have a good team. Like, I would I would make the argument that I would make the argument that uh, the greatest Scottish athlete uh, today might be a darts player who dyes his hair and spikes it up into a mohawk and wears plaid pants and dances to pit balls don't stop the party. <laughs> right. I mean I mean, we did have, we did have, I think it was Hastings, who like, were the best kickers in rugby to the point that he played in the NFL for a while, basically to go on, kick the ball and go back off, because he was that good. He would be great in the NFL. Ah, oh, gosh. I mean, sure. maybe one day Laidlaw will end up there. And you will all see quite how tiny he is. We have a player foot taller than him. Who's also out, by the way. <coughs> He's recovering from back surgery. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> like I say, peak Scotland. <laughs> wonderful. Um, Charles. Charlie. Buddy. It's, uh, it's been a while, um, I believe. And I do want to thank you for filling in for me several, many moons ago. Um, uh, my pleasure. Charles, what's... What is going? What is going on with you, my dude? So, a couple of Saturdays ago, I had the pleasure of attending a hockey game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I attended it with my dad, and we had pretty decent seats. I'd say it was in the red section. I think it was section one fifteen, row Z. I want to say. I don't remember for sure, but uh, since I wanted to have a bit of fun, and since I wanted to go with my dad, and what's the point of going to a sports 
match if you're not gonna have any fun. I put on my Toronto Maple Leafs shirt, and I'm able oh. to disguise it for like <laughs> right up until the car ride there. And when we're in the parking lot, and we get out. I I get out of the car. My dad sees my shirt. He's like, "What are you wearing? Why are you wearing this?" <laughs> And then, when we go into the game, it's, so, it was 3-3 at the end of regulation between Montreal and Toronto, and every time Toronto scores, <laughs> I stand up and I cheer loudly, not because I like Toronto, but because I like to have fun and get up my dad's <laughs> nerves, get under his skin, at least for tonight. And then when overtime starts, Toronto gets a break. It's two on one. And then the the game-winning goal is Austin Matthews with a short side snipe. And he wins in overtime. And he's the first star. <laughs> and oh my, my dad God. is just... Can, <laughs> yo, I'm surprised King, he can spoke we, to me can after we that. King, can we convince Dre to... Uh pack a lewis hamilton shirt underneath a sebastian vettel shirt <laughs> for these last few races mm, I, I, nah. I that could be possible. as far as the season for me goes with the canadians that's about the most joy i've had due to their <laughs> less than stellar Reasons. record which i'm sure sarah connors is dancing in circles around reasons shenanigans Bergevin doing Bergevin things mm, wonderful please just take care of our very expensive defenseman for us he's very expensive and very large <laughs> and very scary and on the wrong side of 30 um, I got I got Ranch Rismo Sport <laughs> I know right um uh, we got a. I got Gran Turismo Sport. I had it uh, a week ago, and I've been playing it for a few days. It's. I'm not really sure what to make of it because it's very much a game that's geared towards the esports crowd. So it's, it's got a lot of Gran Turismo essence into it. Um, but it is also very. Uh, it's it's kind of a bit bare bones when it comes to features. Like this is not a game where you have. 800 different cars to collect this is a game that does not have a whole lot of circuits there is a photo mode there is not a wide variety of cars that you can select um you do have them all set to be like gt3 and gt4 race cars and mock mock-ups of those regulations which is pretty neat um i've i've played a few online races it's it's good for you know just online public lobby racing where nobody where nobody has heard of the brake pedal. Oh my god! Like I I swear, like the first couple races I did were um, Honda Civic Type R's Brands Hatch. You know, you're thinking like, oh man, this is kind of like British touring cars, um, and they sure drove like it. Um, as in, nope, everybody just wanted to use other people's side doors a as a turning cushion. So that's um so that's not great um the game looks very visually impressive that's been polyphony digital's thing ever since gran turismo 3 like if they get nothing else right 
you know they'll always go like mega hard into like graphical quality and my goodness some of the photo scenes that you could take in this game is unbelievable they also they finally got with the times and added a livery editor it's oh. kind of bare bones because it's missing a decal creator and uh the uh, the prefab options that you get are not very good so some of the uh some of the replica liveries that you see already online it, they're uh mm, let's just say they need the decal editor to feel uh anywhere close to complete there's some very interesting choices of vehicles in this game um like a gt4 bugatti veyron with about 400 horsepower i don't understand who asked for this <laughs> no <Clarkson>. one did <laughs> no clarkson did we're sick of like the other gran turismo games where you're in the fastest car and you just go through the field and you win by like a minute at least this is a real I, definitely, I understand that but also it's a Veyron. It weighs about 12 tons. The balance of performance comes with the fact that it weighs as much as a barge. So you're going to you're going to get that acceleration, that high end speed and that and the braking, but quartering it's going to be the worst thing you've ever Not even <laughs> the braking. No, oh. the braking's still going to be trash too. Oh yeah, cuz of the inertia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I am I'm debating on which manufacturer to join up with because I'm thinking like, ooh, I might want to get a Nissan. Ooh, but I might want to drive Dodge Vipers all the time because I want to be on brand. Um, it's also pretty significant because this is the first Gran Turismo game with Porsche. It's got Porsche in it. It's been 20 years. It's a. It's also pretty neat that you have like some of the uh, golden age of LMP1 cars in it, like the Toyota TSO50, the Porsche 919, uh, the Audi R18, and the Peugeot 908. So if you're if you end up sometime sometime this time next year and you miss what LMP1 used to be like, mm, you can always pop on Gran Turismo Sport. Yeah, that's like a, the good old days. that's a strange thing because like it seems like. Any game that wants to be a racing sim has to have all of the the LMP ones of you know the lost generation. We could say it's even got the Nissan GTR LM. Yes, like Forza has the same line of cars as well. I think they're missing the TSO fifty, but they have all of them, including the Nissan GT GTR LM. But which, by the way, fun thing you want to do: go to a. The half mile bullring oval Northern Isles Speedway. Just put on one of the LMP1 cars. It's a uh, it's stupidly easy driving, but man, is it! It's a good time waster for about ten minutes. <laughs> um, I also really love some of the new original tracks. Like I've got a fondness for some of the old school tracks, but places like Maggiore. Um, it's an Italian circuit, and you might think that it's just like any other modern-day uh, European race circuit. And then at the very end of the lap, they've got this big downhill section that leads into this 36-degree banked hairpin corner that runs up the side of a hill. Oh, my God. It's wonderful. They have a circuit called Dragon Trail, which is based in Croatia, which is Mario Andretti's home country. Croatia is the home of Marco, Mario Andretti. Not Marco Andretti. 
actual Croatian resident Marco Andretti. That's what that's what we're gonna call him when we realize that he's outlived his usefulness. Sorry, Zoe. Uh, <laughs> I think we're behind the curve on that. God. Oh my goodness. I. I don't know what to say because uh, I'm still got I've still got time to tear into it. Now the one thing that I've found I didn't. I didn't think that having the game constantly all online was going to be a problem um, until I was busy doing circuit experience missions and the server went down from until until I was busy doing circuit experience missions and the server went down for maintenance. Mm. So I couldn't save any of my progress and those servers weren't going to be back all night. Modern gaming is ridiculous. It's, it's, so it is kind of some, it's like, you don't even have that much of an off online, offline single player campaign to begin with. Why do you need this? I don't get it. Uh, Grand Turismo support. It's beautiful. Probably not worth the 60 bucks out of the box. If you can find it cheaper towards the holidays, probably go and get it. Um, it's, it's Grand Turismo and, uh, probably going to be. It's it's gonna be a good time. Just uh, know who you're driving against. Um, right. Well, we have uh, we have uh, we have some stuff to talk about. We let's let's go racing in America in the in the world's most spectacular racing events on the globe. <laughs> you missed it lewis hamilton won his sixth grand prix in the united states his fifth at coda by itself um this i believe makes him the most successful driver on american soil he won pretty handily from pole position ahead of sebastian vettel who was still mathematically alive in the championship but runs a serious risk of being eliminated from contention this weekend in mexico city nobody is talking about this though well at least not as much um, because what happened in the last part of this race? Let's, uh, let's break it down here for a bit. Um, Max Verstappen starts 17th because of engine grid spot penalties. So terrible. So awful. They actually give you the chance to run up through the field and make your drive to the podium more impressive. Just the worst. Yeah, it, it's um, it's so terrible that they give us these hero moments. It's it's trash. Like I I appreciate you know everybody getting on their soapbox about this, especially when you know one driver had grid spot penalties before they've ever driven their first Formula One race. But at the same time, again, I would rather take those grid spot penalties, drive like a maniac through the field, than have that thing happen on Sunday and my car blow up and I don't get any points because remember, they don't pay out points on Saturday. Yep. Um, 
Max Verstappen, to his credit, had a very good race. And on the final lap, it looked like he was going to catch Kimi Raikkonen, who was running very, very, very lean on fuel. As it turns out, he run out of fuel over the finish line. But that's not the way Max Verstappen races. No, he sees a gap, and he's going to go for it. And sometimes, when you don't see enough of a gap, you're going to make a gap of your own. And when you make a gap of your own, well, then you have your podium taken away. And nobody ever, and we don't even get to address the question of what they would give a a 20-year-old on the podium. You know, this was the last chance where we could have seen juice boxes on the F1 podium. <laughs> There's always next season. Wait, 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 see if Williams gets a really competitive car. I'm, I'm holding out for it. I'm not expecting it, but I'm going to shoot my shot here. Oh, golly. Um... So, Mats Verstappen makes what we believe to be one of the most ridiculous passes in a while. And then we find out that he had all four wheels over the inside of the line, effectively cutting the circuit to gain an advantage. Naturally, they give him a five-second time penalty, which demotes him to fourth behind a man who ran out of fuel. And has probably, and has probably run out of motivation to try harder than being a solid number two driver. Sorry. Um, when this happened, I think, uh, I think, um, I think, I think half of race car Twitter, I want to say like 75% race car Twitter went into apoplectic shock. (laughs) Um, and it all, it really all centers around like how the, how the penalty was enforced because the point was made several times that. You know, Max Verstappen left the track to gain advantage. So did many other drivers who left the track to gain advantage in qualifying and race day, not by cutting the track, but by going wide over the track limits themselves. Um, There was also the point made that, you know, hey, you know, consistency in stewarding has been an issue for a while until you find out that there have been instances where drivers who have cut the inside and gained advantage have gotten the exact same penalty as Matt Verstappen, which was a five-second time penalty and one penalty point. Yeah. Um, and it all, and then we got to the debate of whether or not modern circuits are suitable for this kind of racing and whether or not they lead to, uh, to situations like this, especially from drivers who have experience in racing in North America, like Marino Franchitti or Ranger Van de Zanda, where... On a lot of these American circuits that are not Circuit of the Americas, there are not as many boundaries. There's not as much runoff. And if you run off course, your car is going to get chewed up. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the feeling that I think a lot of people wish, like, circuits would get back to. But, you know, it's it's always tough because I always feel like there's not going to be, like a, like, a catch-all solution. Like, if a car's already out of control... I honestly feel like a paved runoff is going to be the safest way to get it to slow down and not cause a terrible accident. Yeah, because like with the uh, we like the F. The, one of the reasons why the FIA decided paved runoffs was the best solution because we ended up with a worst case scenario back in 1999 at Laguna Seca, where in the worst case scenario, a car heading into a corner with a throttle stuck wide open, went, skimmed over gravel trap, threw tire barriers, and into a concrete wall, killing the driver. Right. Um, and that was not the only time where natural runoff had 
inadvertently killed somebody in what would seemingly be an avoidable situation. Um, Laguna Seca also came up because in comparison to this accident, we, people had brought up, and it was it was several people that brought up Alex Zanardi's pass on Brian Herda at the corkscrew, the it, the famous pass, which would have been illegal under cart rules the very same year. It wasn't illegal back then. They put yeah. in the rules for track limits at that quarter specifically and at other places to prevent that from happening again. But it was not. But it was within the rules back then. That was their list Context test to find how far you could. I know contents doesn't matter. <laughs> we, we, we live on the internet age where contents never matters. Um, that's why we brought in Charlie. Charlie, you have carding experience. I do. Um, what? You have you have way more carding experience than I do. I think I've gotten as far up as like the um the fun land. Uh, amusement park and mini golf um, A class. Hey, that is a prestigious formula. God, um, you'll never see right. Max Verstappen or Jimmy Räikkönen competing in that. You're never going <laughs> to no, see Lewis no. Hamilton challenge for a championship in that. That's for experts yeah. only. No, no, they're not. They're not going to. Uh, they're not going to an Andretti in, indoor karting. Uh, they open it up no um charlie um what did you make of this whole deal and what do you make particularly of it seems like there's a divide between a lot of different drivers who have a voice on social media there are a lot of drivers who've spoken up and said that you know this wasn't a fair penalty and there are others that have said that this absolutely was the right call and some just honestly don't know how to feel Uh, well, I'm being honest. I'd have to say, uh, with regard to track limits, I, I do agree that in the case of uh, qualifying, uh, particularly, uh, like when you have guys going off track to complete lap time, that's, uh, th that's rather uh, sketchy because that, you know that's not where the track is. And it's not only at... Uh, where we have this issue but I think it's also quite a prominent issue at Austria most of the time Red Bull rings another place where it comes up um, and, it, and the thing is at at Red Bull ring like it's not even like a new thing since like the A1 ring like quote unquote F1's fastest lap of all time like you watch that onboard footage Michael Schumacher is clearly disregarding track limits yeah in 2003 when Reckonen's being chased by Barrichello they're, they're both going off the track and it's not even an F1 thing it also happens uh, like at NASCAR at Watkins Glen like when yeah. when they do the short track they go around the carousel they, they always go by to gain track time and uh, yeah i agree there i feel like there should be some consistency there but with regard to the actual penalty itself it it was a deserved penalty the, the fact of the matter is when you pass a driver you need to keep at least two wheels on the track at all times it i see it in karting like i see guys going off track to overtake and i see guys getting penalized for it i see arguments starting over it like it goes from the base of motorsport like the the first 
step to motorsport all the way to the pinnacle of motorsport and yeah the rules are rules and if you're gonna cut the track to overtake someone whether you mean it or not you're you're gonna set get sent right back to where you were before that because according to them you didn't complete the overtake illegally i mean i hate to see inconsistency like this but as they say rules are rules if you don't want to follow them then go find another sport that's more lenient good luck finding one though <laughs> right and i feel like it's like i mean the amount of people that at least in the, that in the last 24 hours have come out in support of what of matt's verstappen's driving and i mean it's not just like you know it's not just like oh it's just Yas from Stappin' as a fan. It's it's guys that you wouldn't expect to be like so fullheartedly in favor of such driving. Like Karun Chandhawk, who is about as mild mannered a driver across multiple series and about as smart a dude as he can get. Hell, Nico Rosberg. Nico Rosberg, the reigning world drivers champion, said that he thought Nick Kimmy Raikkonen had turned in on Matt's for Stappen and forced him down off the track. Uh yeah, to play devil's advocate here, I'd say that I, I would argue that it appeared that Kimmy didn't leave the most room because if Max had stayed on track while Kimmy was pushing Max to the inside of turn 16, I want to say, um, it, they very well could have like had another tie-rubbing scenario like we had with the other Ferrari and Red Bull earlier this season. It, it may have made for some exciting viewing, and then again, it could have made for a spectacular crash. It could have taken both guys out and gifted Bottas a free podium. Can I also just say how one how just fantastic it was that everybody had saw that when Sebastian Vettel aggressively defends his position at the start by moving over to the inside line, that is the worst thing ever because it ends in a crash. But when Lewis Hamilton makes the exact same move and it doesn't end in disaster, it's just great scrappy defensive driving. <laughs> At least be transparent about your biases, folks. It, it will clear your conscience. Um, speaking of which, Yas Verstappen was very mad. Very, very mad on oh, Twitter. Dear. This is this is uh, what I want to believe is a 45-year-old man. Now, granted, I know people of that age are not exactly the most well-behaved on the internet. Just ask any of my relatives on Facebook. Uh, but it's it's very embarrassing just like I know it's it's his dad I I, I almost don't want to I almost don't want to care about this because it's like he's an overzealous sports dad Jasper Stappen is the peak uh, sports dad who goes to his son's little league games and swears at the ref and wants to get in the fight um, he is that dad. And Matt's in some comments to the press immediately afterwards didn't exactly endear his case either when he uh, when he pretty much put one of the uh, the marshals on blast. I believe it was the same man who uh, penalized him in Mexico and then reportedly asked uh, the U American fans not to show up for the race. Although later he did give interviews to the public that seemed a bit more level-headed, um, which... Take it for what it's worth. I'm not entirely sure what to make of... I'm not entirely sure what to make of all this. Um, King, 
we've we've we had it out a little bit yesterday regarding this very same issue um you were very very passionate at the time when it seemed like everybody else was passionate in the other direction you you saw it another way yeah like you saw it as this is a clear-cut penalty and i don't know why in the world everybody is rushing to his defense yeah it, it's a clear-cut penalty where in in the case where he did go off without a doubt he did go off he did gain an advantage an advantage which he couldn't give back because the race had just ended. And, like, pretty much there was no hard case that you could say in any other part of the race where you could have definitive evidence that, you know, a driver cut a corner and gained an advantage. Yeah, because, you know, if you're, if you're cutting a corner, it's... You, either one of two things are happening. You have had a very, you have had, you're about to, you're trying to avoid a very terrible incident, or you're trying to gain an advantage, and nobody's leaving you enough room on the track, so you got to make your own. Yes. And I, I get, I get the arguments. I get the arguments that you know, hey, don't, don't let if you don't want people to abuse track limits, then don't pave over so, so much the road. But that wouldn't that wouldn't apply on the streets. You're not going to drive on like a four lane piece of highway and just like use the center line as your overtake button. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. You would get pulled over immediately in a just society. But like the case that they're making is Max should not be penalized because everyone else was not penalized, which creates a situation of okay, one of two things, like, one of two things could happen. One, okay, Max doesn't get penalized. Or two, the race just didn't happen because everyone's going to get disqualified now. <sighs> Wonderful. Um, no, it's, you know, I, I came to a realization as I was rolling this around in my head, you know, I, 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 I get, I get it. Like, I and this program seem to be cast as the Matt's for Stappen stand just because of, like, I think Matt Verstappen is an entertaining driver who was just growing up the hard way in a very ruthless and cutthroat sport. Um, do I think he did? Do I think he broke the rules? Absolutely. Do I kind of feel like people want him to succeed so much that they really want the rules to be molded around him and his style of driving? I kind of thought about it, and even if people aren't even honest with themselves. I kind of feel like people really want this to happen. I feel like they kind of want the rules to revolve around the way Max Verstappen drives until an accident happens. And that's kind of the point here. Because one day, if you drive, if you drive like that, bad things are going to happen. You're going to have you're going to have bad incidents. You're going to have avoidable crashes that are going to destroy people's chances in the championship. Again, I I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Let's swap out drivers. Let's say this is Sebastian Vettel going up the inside of Lewis Hamilton at the exact same spot in the exact same time of the race. How how much, how, how does the argument change? Are we asking for the FIA to throw the hammer down immediately before the checkered flag even comes out? Mm, like, uh, how, how do I, like, go about discussing this? Like... What what would a solution be for this? Just to penalize any infraction of track limits? 
you would have to have a zero tolerance policy. And even then, um, King, as we talked about in the pre-race show, um, in the MSA, which is basically Britain's National Racing Championships, they had a three strikes and you're out policy. Three strikes and you're disqualified if you go over the track limits enough actually, times. Actually, and they also redefined what track limits were. You you had to keep all four wheels within the white lines or the curbs themselves. Putting a wheel off means that you had one strike against you. Yeah, and, you know, I, I feel like if we if we went to that extreme... You know, we would be we would be in the opposite direction and complaining about how over bureaucratized and how we're calling too many penalties. We see it. We see it all the time. You know, either they're calling these penalties too much or they're not calling enough. Yeah. So uh, here is the exact rules It's actually a five strike system. But like the way it works is uh, first, like first infraction, you like you get a free pass. Second infraction, you get a warning flag. Third infraction, five-second time penalty. Then after that, ten-second time penalty. Then after that, a drive-through. And then after that, a black flag. You're disqualified. Another thing I'd like to mention is that I think it's either in Australian supercars or maybe the British Touring Car Championship where they have timers implemented on where drivers would otherwise be going off track and so I feel, yeah and i know because so, of that a lot of times have been yeah. deleted the adelaide 500 actually has a rule of how many times you can go over the curbs at the first chicane which is something very unique i want to read this uh i want to read this set sir for charlie whiting for 2014 Track limits have become a very emotive subject. Fundamentally, a driver is required to use the track at all times. If any part of the car remains within the boundaries of the white lines, they are deemed to be using the track. If they have all four wheels over the white lines, they are off the track. A driver is allowed to leave the track and rejoin without penalty, providing they do so safely and providing they do not gain an advantage. It is up to us whether they have gained an advantage by being off track. Circuits are designed so that going off track should always be slower or at least not faster. Yeah, like, I think, like, if they had to change the track limit rules, I'd be more in favor of them, like, redefining what being off track is. Like, if they went the MSA route, meaning, like, you had to keep all four tires on the racing surface, there would be a lot less ambiguity about it. Right, and again, in another national scene that has it, um, is in Japan, they have a zero-tolerance... policy in fact in super gt in order to participate you have to pass a driver's test that includes keeping all four wheels on the road and doing 10 clean laps in traffic if you do not do that you do not get a license to compete thank you and goodbye yeah and like i i kind of skimmed through a couple articles discussing like the msa rule changes which happened back in 2004 so they they've had years where they've gone by and there's still issues about it where because of the way the system works where you, there are time penalties, uh, people have, like, on one side of the fence, you have the MS, like, MSV, who own most of the tracks. Jonathan Palmer is extremely in favor of these rule changes. On the other side, you have some journalists who don't like it because you end up in situations where people, at, basically at the end of every lap, everyone has to look on their phones to see what the actual running order is because of all the time penalties. Uh, it's... 
it's very tough and i think we as human beings and especially as motorsport fans who are so highly competitive like i get why a lot of drivers have spoken out um saying that matt shouldn't have gotten penalized they're competitive if they were in the same position they would be irate about it themselves no matter how much they want to bit like we drive up to the driver's standards and i know some other drivers have not been a part of this like alex brundle johnny herbert Tiffany Dell from top from fifth gear. I, I love this. We have on we have on two different sides of the debate. We have Chris Harris, who has done more for top gear in two seasons than Jeremy Clarkson did in his last ten. On the complete another top side of Tiff Needle, who is like the most curmudgeonly anorak of all the personalities that are on like major <laughs> British TV car shows. And he yeah. agrees with us. I, I thought to myself, are are like it's like ninety percent of the motorsport <laughs> community just wrong? Because or are we just insane. Because I don't we, get it. We live in a sporting culture where in other sports you get penalized for clearly bad plays. Where where pretty much if you get a penalty, you're considered, you know, a bad participant. Max Verstappen got penalized. Two Pretty much everyone is one of the most phenomenal drivers on the grid. So to, in a way, to admit that, yeah, Max Verstappen was in the wrong here would would also admit that Max Verstappen is not a great driver. Like even even Formula One themselves, when Max Verstappen won Driver of the, of the Day, they had to de- even denote, despite his penalty, Max Verstappen had the Drive of the Day, not Max Verstappen had the Drive of the Day. End of. Right. Yes. Yeah. He he drove from the penultimate row of the grid to finish in the top five. That's still a great result. That is a great result on any day. But no, everybody has to come out of the word work and, and say this is all a great conspiracy theory to assist Ferrari, which, by the way, you know, Ferrari already have uh, an insurmountable lead to Red Bull Racing. Like, this isn't up for debate. And if, he, and if Max Verstappen had gotten that Ferrari drive, as so many had wanted him to do before he signed that contract this weekend, would we be? Would Yas Verstappen be busting out his Ferrari international assistance memes? No. And I think we ended up in a situation where uh, Max Verstappen singled out one of the race stewards by name, which again is ex- like extremely unprofessional. Right, and of course, you know, the precedent set is that all you have to do is just apologize, and it's pretty much done for. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I don't know where this is heading, and I feel like it's, I feel like it's going to escalate into something, something otherwise pretty bad. I uh, hope it doesn't. Like, I have a feeling it's going to end up like the last time there was a track limits debate, where it kind of just, like, blows over by the time the next race happens. Yeah, I mean, I'm already less stressed about it now than I was about this time yesterday. Like, I'll admit, I was not ready to go into ornery wrestling Twitter <laughs> out of ornery race car Twitter. Like, that's that's too much for me, y'all. Yeah. At least TLC was entertaining in, like, a weird car crash kind of way. Um, I mean, one of the so- things... Uh, Two years, well, not two years, last year at Long Beach, you had the whole thing where Max kept cutting a corner and sort of getting advantage. 
and he never seemed to get penalised for it. And then right at the end of the race, when Simon came out with the pits, and he seemed to cut the the pit line, the pit lane, the entry yeah. line. Yeah. And it became a whole. Well, if you penalise Simon, you're going to have to penalise Max because you had Ganassi was very vocal up until it was pointed out how Max should have been penalised, Max Shelton, and yes. then he sort of quieted down. Which, yeah. considering. Christian originally came out saying oh no this is wrong this is wrong and then got shown the footage and went oh uh 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 other people did it and he was and he wasn't the only person that had to backtrack this when they found out that oh yes Matt's for stabbing on all four wheels out we're not going to name names here you just know who you are you probably don't listen to this podcast it's fine um and don't but... forget childhoods were destroyed by this <laughs> oh my god we had an actual we had an actual think of the children tweet about this very same subject. Uh, a, a father I, I get tweeted the- that they they watched the overtake, they high fived, they hugged. The child went to bed, unaware of the podium and what conspired afterwards. And he's like, like, should like- I wake my child up and tell him the truth? Oh my god! And it's like, well, in the morning, like no, number one. Like, number one, it sounds insanely manufactured. Like, that is, like, Christine Leahy, like, why is the NBA benching players? Like, what about this family that say there's your salary to go see LeBron play and he's on the bench? Like, it sounds so manufactured. To use an F1 example, at Baku this year, uh, like, when Hamilton and Vettel had that clash, uh, like, Dre explicitly mentioned it, uh, like, how when, like, the kids look up to the drivers and how... Like, when they want to get into F1, who's the drivers they look up to? The guys at the top, the guys at the front runners, so they think they should send examples. And, of course, Dre flatly says no one puts on their racing helmet and goes out to race thinking of the next generation. Yeah, and, uh, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get into it later, but, for like, for, for very specific reasons, F1 can't, like, advertise towards children. Right, right. Um, I, I, I have some, I have some feelings about this because I, I, I kind of want to get into a mindset of I, I kind of just feel like you know, um, what is what is Formula One not doing that other series seem to have, and it brings up it brings back to a point that I feel like a lot of people will come back to, um, that we should we should at least do a little bit more harder consideration instead of just, oh, we'll think about it and then come back to it in a week about having a permanent group of stewards. Now, granted, permanent group of stewards is not always going to make the right call, but at least you have consistency and continuity in how the decisions are made. Yes, it's, it's kind of... Get... It, it, it's kind of like how constitutional law works. Like, here we have, in the U.S., we have the United States Supreme Court, and you serve on the Supreme Court for life. And even before that, like, pretty much how laws determine is by previous cases. And it's easier to enforce previous cases when the stewards at hand were probably the same stewards who, who issued, who, you know, adjudicated over those cases in the past. Not right, some, like, some... yeah, not some random rotating case of stewards who, like, what is this? I've never heard of this before. Stewarding is a hard job, and especially, you know, you have to make a lot of split decisions. I don't want that job. 
I would not want that job, especially when it came down to a split-second call at the end of the race that could have uh, implications in the driver's championship. Because, I don't know if you know this, but Matt Verstappen, slowly but surely, gaining ground on Kimi Raikkonen in the World Drivers' Championship. Um, it's, it's, mm, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, again, I can't shake the feeling in my mind that, um, that we just, we want the rules to revolve and benefit the guys that we like and be a detractor for the guys that we don't. Yeah. It feels like it's been that way for about 15 years of my life, and I get it. Like, I get it, but also, like, that's that's not the way racing should be. Yeah, it's not the way this racing be should like, be. As the, the, I know the analogy has been made that, like, this is like scoring a brilliant goal, but it's offsides. Like, and your only defense is, well, everybody else was going offsides when they took the ball and broke into the 20-yard box. Like, no. Because, like, racing can't be officiated like other sports because in, like, traditional bat and ball sport, like, the bat and ball sports, you can focus on the ball. You, you, it doesn't take that many people to officiate. Just, like, a handful of people to see what's going on around the ball and the immediate surroundings of said ball in racing, we end up in a situation where there are twenty, like there, are twenty plus cars on the track, and you pretty much need to have eyes on all twenty cars at every single moment of competition. I mean, it's even like um, rugby has now got the TMO, where literally as they've stopped the game, he gestures to a screen to get a replay. It's like we can't exactly stop the race every time. Well, that that's what this, to the point of red flag. That that's what the stewards literally do. Like the stewards go back and like they have instant replay in the stewards' office where they look like they've they saw Verstappen's overtake from various different angles. From I believe they had uh, about five different camera angles. They had the two onboard cameras on both their cars plus the the trackside camera to to see whether, you know, Reckoning forced Verstappen off, whether, like, if Verstappen I will any... be I will be completely honest. I thought Kimmy ran Max Verstappen down to the inside of the track in desperation. We've seen stuff like this happen in NASCAR, restricted plate tracks, where there is an out-of-bounds line. And for a while, people that got forced down out-of-bounds, um, regardless of whether or not they were forced down, they were penalized for it. That's what ultimately culminated in Brad Keselowski's first win. When Brad Keselowski just realized, I, I can just hold my line, and it doesn't matter if the other person trying to drive me down gets spun out and crashes into the fence, because I don't need to deviate below this yellow line. As it turns out, Kimi Räikkönen was actually holding a pretty steady line. Yeah. And I really wish that the first picture they had gone with um, was not the onboard shot of Matt Verstappen with his two wheels cut off, but on the outside shot where it clearly shows all four wheels are over the inside of the curb. I think if they had gone with that, I think it would have cut out a lot of the ambiguity. Yeah, it would have cut out. But still, people still want to complain from respected journalists to respected racing drivers. I uh, Are we in the wrong profession? I don't know. Uh, I, mm, I, I think... People want officiating to be something it can't be, because there's a reason why it's not, like, the sport operates like most other sports where 
you had to officiate instances like you, you had to officiate racing before there was TV and radio. Like the like the first two like the first two decades of racing or so, the only way it could be officiated if they like the organizers the organizers literally, literally had to put an official in every car. And it's not feasible we ever do that again. If we have an army of stewards, like one steward per onboard camera, that is not feasible. Put a Charlie Whiting in every car. <laughs> that That's why we have this, like, once once racing grew to a scale where that wasn't feasible anymore to put a steward in every car, they went to Yachting's formula, where it's on an appeal system, where pretty much... Uh, it's on the burden of the victim to say that, yeah, we want to appeal that because they f- they feel like they were wronged against regulations. And you have to bring your own proof to the table. If you don't have the proof saying that, you know, a certain driver broke the rules and gained an advantage, uh, they're fine. You can do whatever you want as long as you didn't gain an advantage and they have no evidence. I don't think we'll hear the end of this debate, and I certainly don't think we'll hear the end of it, um, at least in the next three rounds, because Mexico, again, another place where, you know, you potentially run the risk of track limits. And Lagos can also be the same, and so too will Abu Dhabi. Even though, Um, like, even though you could... The whole notion that oh, old school tracks are better with track limits, Interlagos has been on the calendar since, like, the 1970s. Right. Right. I, I think really the only tracks with like hard track limits is like, yeah, it's it's Monaco and we make a big deal about how crappy the racing is because the track limits are too strict. Yeah, that pretty much you can't try an overtake move because it's either you make the move or your race is over. You make the move or you flip a guy over into the portier wall. Yeah, you, you make a move or you're Lorenzo Bandini. Yeah, like let let's be real here. I know we're being real, but oh, king, king, oh, buddy. Um, should we talk about um Carlos Sainz doing a wonderful job in his first race with Renault? Like we knew that Carlos Sainz was going to do incredible things the moment he stepped up from Toro Rosso. I didn't think he'd be this good. Yeah, I didn't think he would be. I'm as good if not as be- if not better than my teammate without like any time in the same machinery no time at all um was comprehensively the better of nico holkenberg through some of the early practices i don't know how much it amounted to anything because nico holkenberg uh had trouble in qualifying and then he had trouble in the race because mm-hmm. Renault just, um, they brought an experimental engine to the party, and when you experiment, you're going to have a bad time. Uh, Hulkenberg and Daniel Ricciardo suffered simultaneous engine failures, which makes for just right before Zach, right after Zach Brown had said, we're very proud to be working with McLaren, to be working with Renault for net season, and two of their engines have already popped. In fairness, Fernando Alonso's engine also let go, meaning that whenever he races with his Indy 500 helmet, he is two for two <laughs> Honda engine failures in the States. Yep. Although he did have a comment about the, the, the opening ceremony. 
in comparison. Oh my god, I have, I feel some particular kind of way about this. I really do because I, I just, I'm, I'm, I think what really got to me was everybody just cracking on uh, Michael Buffer's driver introductions, and like I get it. It's campy, it's a bit cringy, maybe it's a bit over the top. But my feeling is, that, like, hey, Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport. If not in actuality, it at least promotes itself as that. Yep. So maybe the spectacle, the over-the-topness, should reflect that. So maybe you should have Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel introduced to the Formula One grid like they're prized fighters fighting for six different heavyweight titles in Madison Square Garden on pay-per-view on Saturday night. I think I think there was mainly a bit of of I wouldn't say culture shock. Culture shock seems too broad. It seems like just a shock to the nature of what Formula One usually <laughs> is, where it's just you know just random play the anthem. Let's get this race started. Like kind of like you, kind of like we don't really care about you guys. We're just doing this race. Glad you showed up though. I mean, you could tell, yeah, it got broadcast, but it was more for the fans at the track. It was to give them something, rather than them just sitting there and it's like, because I think you get the, it's like a wee, it's not that big compared to it, it's kind of like, here's all the drivers to get on a, a truck and they go around the track and they wave. Yeah. Right, you do have you do have elaborate driver introduction ceremonies in IndyCar, in NASCAR. Um, you know, I, I made this point like if if somehow all of this pomp and pageantry of the United States Grand Prix, where you have Michael Buffer um, announcing the drivers with their own unique nicknames and having them walk out on the track and like smoke and cheerleaders and all that, if that if that's something that's just like so against the ingrained nature of formula one that you just never want to watch again you wish you had bernie <laughs> Ecclestone back you absolutely boring boring human beings who have no who have never experienced joy in your lives i hope you never watch an indianapolis 500 yeah. oh, God. I mean, where there are th where there are no less than three pre-race anthems and they launch balloons and they do the same driver introduction stuff and there's a parade around the track and there's about three weeks of practice beforehand and some of the practices have their own special names to them i mean i personally my favorite thing was is he started off with the racing the greatest racing spectacle on the planet well, right. Which, that, that's America. Everything's always the greatest. Uh, but you stick that in Google, and it instantly comes up with the Indy 500, the greatest spectacle <laughs> in racing. It's right. Like Fernando Alonso, Nando said that this was kind of a bad ripoff of all the pre-race pageantry of the Indianapolis 500. I get that. I get that it's derivative. But I mean, um, like, Fernando Alonso's only been to two IndyCar races. It should be fun, though. Yeah, it if should we be can't, fun. Oh, if we can't overhaul, we can't overhaul the regulations overnight. At least make the spectacle in and around the race fun. Yeah, that's why Coda has Taylor Swift and Justin Timberlake play a concert on Saturday night before the race, because they know it's going to be a fifty-fifty toss-up whether or not the race is going to be so compelling that it goes down to the all-time books as an instant classic. 
But if you give them an experience they won't forget, they'll probably make the race a whole, feel a whole lot better, certainly in person. Like, that's what yeah. they do at Singapore. That They have concerts, and they constantly bring A-list performers to there. Because I'm pretty sure yes. every Formula 1 fan should want Formula 1 to be fun, not, uh, you know, basically an over-the-top corporate conference for automobile manufacturers. Right, and I thought that's what everybody wanted. Yeah. It just seems like, you know, there are a lot of, like, mid-40-something um, account, uh, assistant accountants <laughs> who are just like, oh, I, I, I don't think I like this. Quite frankly, I just think this is too tacky and posh, and I like, I like my drivers to have no personalities whatsoever. <laughs> I mean... As the... As as they simultaneously wish that ev- that the F one grid was twenty two James Hunts. <laughs> yes. I mean, my honestly, my biggest criticism of it would be it wasn't done in grid order. Uh, right. That was that was kind of done purposely in because F one's about the championship, not the race itself. Uh huh. That's that is kind of part of the problem. I know Formula One wants their races to stand on equal footing, but at the same time, they also we also want to make a big deal about it to us that we have so many historic venues. But you also want them to feel just as big as all the other events. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, I'm I'm just saying that like if if this is something that you wish they would never do again, like I hope they do more of it. Yeah. Like, like. Give me, give me Lenny Hart, Pride Fighting Championship and Ring Announcer to do the introductions in Japan and Singapore. This is what I want. Though I, I want, I want John McDonald to do the British Grand Prix driver introductions. Though I had people, I did see people who who liked the the like the idea itself, but just didn't like Michael Buffer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fair. Michael Buffer was kind of overpaid in world championship wrestling yes but but don't don't listen michael buffer <laughs> tremendous botsing announcer but absolutely butchered bret hart's nickname i'm sorry the hitman bret <laughs> clark I, i'm surprised i'm surprised they went with the heartbreaker glance stroll though oh God. I, 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 I do have to give him credit for actually making the effort to pronounce every driver's names correctly. Cause, like, Daniel Ricciardo. Yes. Okay. Okay. You're, you're allowed a margin of error. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, uh, Billy Butts did just hand you those introductions about an hour before grid time. Mm-hmm. Will Butts, and I know we kind of went on him for how we kind of reacted to the post-race ceremony, but dude is a delight. I would have him over Ted Kravitz. Please find Billy Butt some work next year. Please. IndyCar. Please do. Grab your yes, for the IndyCar. IndyCar. Um, Carlos was not the only notable debut, because while he did not finish in the points, Brendan Hartley did well enough on his debut weekend. Again, he hadn't driven a single-seater in about five years. And while he may have finished outside the points and was generally a bit slower than Danny Kvyat, who, again, had prior experience in the car, Toro Rosso liked him so much that they're pretty much going to keep Brendan Hartley and Pierre Gasly for the rest of the season. <sighs> Danny, Danny, Danny Kvyat. Danny Kvyat's going to be fine. He's 23 years old, but he needs a break from Formula One. 
He needs to find another environment. He needs to get out of Red Bull, and he needs to try something different to get his confidence back. Formula E. Because we've seen him. Formula E is fine. Now, I, I think I, it's going to be him, Kyle Lotion, and a privateer, SMP, LMP1 next year. <laughs> That's That doesn't even sound that bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound that bad. We've seen Danny Kofiat at his best. We've seen Danny Kofiat at his best when he won the GP3 title in his rookie season with Toro Rosso. In the year where he outscored Daniel Ricciardo. But it's he's just too rattled at this point, and he needs a change of scenery to get his confidence back. Otherwise, you know, he it doesn't matter where you're going to put him, he's not going to have the confidence back, and he's not going to apply himself enough to uh, get back on top of where he was. And that's not to say that Brendan Hartley didn't do a fantastic job. You know, he finished the race. He was having some entertaining scraps with Lance Stroll in the battle of the former Ford Chip Ganassi Daytona prototype drivers. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he was brilliant. And we'll talk about Pierre Gasly, who was missing in action. We'll talk about him a little bit later on in the show. Um, Zoe, mm-hmm. what did you make of Brandon Hartley's very first Formula One effort? as the first Kiwi in nearly 35 years to race in the big time. Well, he's, a, he's also like the first driver, he's the first Kiwi, well, it's been 50 years since a certain Kiwi won the F1 championship as well. Yep. Made his debut on the 50th anniversary of Dennis Holmes' 1967 title. He kept the car, like, he done everything right. He kept the car clean, he gave feedback, he scrapped where he could. It then caused hassle for the front runners. Which, when you're, it's like, you're, like you've already said, first time back in a, a single seater in a long time. I mean, it, it, he's been an LMP one, so it's not like he's never seen all the technology flies. He's used to all the tech, at least. It's not that foreign, it's just single seater car. Right, yeah, I would argue that, yeah, modern LMP1s make more downforce than probably the car that he's driving right now at Toro Rosso. Yeah, probably, Um, like, the only major difference between the two cars is weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we know that Hartley has consistently now for the last, ever since he's been with Porsche, been one of the quickest drivers in the category. He's been quicker than Mark Webber, Mm -hmm. and nobody questions Mark Webber's credentials as a Formula 1 driver. Um, Brendan Hartley has the potential to stay on. Of course, this could affect IndyCar's silly season because Zoe. Team Kiwi. Zoe, it's, it, I, it I, looks like wait. Scott Ditson's going to have to find a new teammate. Now, Chip is going to have to clone him because he likes Winner so much and he can't find one he likes. He'll have to clone Dixie. It's the only solution. Or he could just move a Ganassi driver from a certain other American series to IndyCar. Ooh, yeah, because he's not going to be fighting for any Cup Series titles anytime soon. Oh goodness! Speaking of bad rule changes, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, we have hit a lot of the high points of this race. Um, we we also uh, 
let's uh let's just go over the results real quick and see if we've like missed anything of any significance here we of course had lewis hamilton winning from pole from sebastian vettel from kimmy reichen and from max verstappen valtteri botas finished a pretty distant fifth and even went and he was fading in the end of the race stuck on the ultra soft tires is an act of desperation to try and swipe the fastest lap um it still didn't work out for him Dre's made the point that Valtteri Bottas has not been on his game since the summer break. Um, did, uh, should Mercedes be worried? I mean, they already wrapped up their fourth consecutive Constructors title in a row. I don't know how worried they should be. Ooh, I don't know. Like, for the most part, like, he's not hindering them. It's not like Ferrari is nipping at their heels in the Constructors' Championship. I think... We're going to have to wait till about one or two races in next year to see whether he, you know, returns the form or whether 2019 is looking at the driver market for Mercedes. Yeah, and it's looking like 2019 is going to be the fun year of the driver market. Ooh, buddy. I also want to I also want to quote a uh, comedian Bill Burr uh, quoted from quoted from Will Butston. Fuck you. This is America. We overeat and we're loud. If you don't like it, don't have a race here. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. I will I will overlook your casual sexism and your material for just one instance. Esteban Ocon. Esteban Ocon finished sixth. He was feeling sick all weekend. Still had the better of Sergio Perez for most of the weekend. And he broke the record. He is the he is the he is the mark of O consistency, baby. He has finished all twenty sits of his Grand Prix. He has broken Matt Chilton's vaunted record, which of course came to an end on Canadian soil. But uh, Esteban Ocon has been great, y'all. He and Matt he and Matt Verstappen had a scrap for like five seconds, and I was just thinking like F three rivals, and nope, it's still fine. Carlos Sainz, as we mentioned, finished a very impressive seventh. And who, and looking at this battle for fifth place in the championship, it could be this transfer that really, really affects this battle for fifth place in the constructors championship that we have going on right now. Um, it is, uh, it's pretty tight at the top. Williams still have a 15 point lead over Toro Rosso. But then it's another five points back to Renault and another five points back to Haas behind them. Um, could Carlos Sainz single-handedly put Renault over the top of Williams and Toro Rosso by the end of the season? Yeah, if they can kind of think it so. <laughs> yeah, if, if they can sort out the reliability and both, you know, Carlos Sainz and Nico Hulkenberg can consistently finish in the points, they're going to mop up. I hate to admit it, but yeah, the way it's looking right now, as much hope as I have for Lance, even if it may be unreasonable, and I know it's wishful thinking, yeah, it's probably, like, I, I can see Renault overhauling Williams by the end of the season. It, it would have to take a massive effort over the next three races because, again, it seems like every one of these track, one of these three tracks will be a bogey track for at least one of these teams. Yeah. A great track for Williams will probably be a terrible track for Toro Rosso, and a great track for Toro Rosso will be a bad track for Haas, and so on and so forth. By the way, Haas did not get any of their cars in the points, and Kevin Madison got punted off. 
guys. Kevin Madison's heel turn is in full effect. Rounding oh, out the point God. scores, Sergio Perez finished eighth. Felipe Massa, a very quiet ninth. And Danny Kvyat in his final Formula One, in what's looking like his last Formula One race for a while, maybe ever, finishes tenth. Out-qualifies and out-races his teammate, and he's still dropped. But really, it is a case of what have you done for me lately. Welcome um, to the Red Bull Junior program. Where, interestingly enough, Brendan Hartley was a former junior with the team. You can come home after all. You may just need to wait a while. Or, like, you, you could come home if you didn't fail in Formula One. Because, apparently, uh, Dams received no contact from Red Bull for the services of Sebastian Voimey. Oh, golly. Yeah, that's the other guy that we all kind of thought was going to get the seed, and he ultimately never did it. So here is how it shakes up at the top of the Drivers' Championship. Of course, Lewis Hamilton won. This is his home Grand Prix. He is our most American driver. Lewis Hamilton has a 66-point lead over, um, over Sebastian Vettel. So all he has to do is win the race and hope that, and hope that Sebastian Vettel uh, doesn't finish inside the top four. If he does that in Mexico this weekend, he is a four-time world champion. And if he doesn't do it somehow this weekend, he's got two more races to do it. Ah, oh, man. Imagine if Lewis chokes the title. Like, like let's be real. Like, imagine the worst case scenario. Lewis Hamilton somehow loses his fourth world championship title. Uh, 2007? Anyone? No, this, this would have to be like a monumental yeah. um, collapse of like, Golden State Warriors proportions in 2016. <laughs> we have to talk Atlanta 28, New England 3, late in the third quarter, sort of collapse. It still hurts. Scotland um, um, The United States men's national team hopes of qualifying. Yeah. Rip. Um, Brazil at the 2014... FIFA World Cup right up until they <laughs> met Germany. Um, no, that was that was hardly a contest. In order for that, in order for that to be a collapse, it at least had to be had some sort of chance that Brazil was going to win this game. That lasted all about a minute. But I, I think we do have to talk about one thing: uh, Kevin Magnuson's race about him effectively taking Pascal Verline out of the race and not being penalized for it. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, that's, I think that might be kind of the consistency issue that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. as, as much as we're going on about how, how bad it is that Matt Verstappen got pinged for cutting a corner, nobody seemed to talk about Kevin Magnuson taking a swipe past Gal Verline. Kevin, what is up with you, my man? Oh my God. And then Marcus Erickson comes in, you know, spins out. Kevin Magnuson automatic five play five second penalty. Oh God! It's because it's because of the nickname that he was given. They shouldn't have called him the Viking. Yeah, that that just that's that just implies unjust violence. God. Um. Crew, what is your um? What is your outlook for Mexico? Are we going to get more? post-race podium shenanigans again for the second week in a row 
the second year yeah, in a row. I think I think Mexico is going to be a boilerplate power track race. Sergio Perez home podium. Over right. Charlie is waiting is there right now, painting bit, the bits that you can't go on a bright, hideous color. And as soon as you go on it, your tires are going to be covered in paint. <laughs> oh my it's God. not going to dry in time. <laughs> also, it's going to drastically um, reduce grip. Some will, someone will try to have like an impromptu game of wiffle ball in the baseball stadium section. <laughs> it will be fun. Um, Mexico should be a good time. I don't know if it'll be much of a race, but it'll be a good time if you go there. So definitely go there. Um, in 16 races, Julian Palmer scored 8 points for Renault. In one race, <laughs> Carlos Sainz has scored 6. <laughs> oh, poor Julian. It's like the final nail in the coffin. God. Oh, Julian. Jolia, my dude. I think he knows he's so done in this town. Yeah. yeah. But I, f I think like Sky Sports was apparently trying to hold on to the hope that Jolian could come back. Be like Claire, it's, you're my only hope. It's not happening. I don't know if Williams are gonna allow you to fit, fall upward. <laughs> as much as everybody seems convinced that that's Williams' only <laughs> option. They need a British driver in Williams. When was the last time they had a British driver? Earlier this year. <laughs> that doesn't count. That was one race. When have they had a British driver? Besides, all the rest of them finish is Scottish. Oh my god. Oh god, when was the last time they had... Jason Button. Damn, that was a long Alex time. Lynn as a reserve driver. <laughs> hey, Lynn's going to be 25 next year. Yeah. Sign him up. Sign him up. Um, let us take a quick musical interlude, and we'll be back with some more news about the world of motorsport, including a big deal, a couple big deals in the world of Formula One. very much for listening and of course if you want to support the motorsport 101 podcast financially you can back us at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 to get this show and bike live a day earlier than everybody else that's your special gift from us to you that is an immediate turn return on investment um so in the last while we've kind of been hoping and praying and wishing this been that this would finally happen, but y'all, Formula One has got a digital distribution deal in the works for 2018. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's only yay for us. It's only yay for me and you, RJ. Yeah. Yes, it's only yay for us Americans who are coming out of their existing TV deal and into a new one. 
there will be an an in-house digital streaming service for the Formula One World Championship beginning in 2018, coincidentally the same year that ESPN and F1 began their current television arrangement. It's looking likely that, Scott, that um, for this to come to the UK, you're going to have to wait until at least 2024 when the current spot, Sky Sports deal expires. <laughs> that sounds so, like, just sad. Like, I know I know it, it's 2017, but 2024 doesn't sound like a real year. It sounds like a fictional year in, like, a 1980s sci-fi movie. Oh, golly. Yeah, that's going to be what about the time where where Nico Hulkenberg is still looking for his first F1 podium at this point. Yes, seven years from now. Um, That is pretty, pretty awesome. And, of course, Formula One has a U.S. radio deal on Sirius XM. I believe we are getting um, the the world feed radio broadcast from like the bbc with jack nichols yeah it's it's not a world yeah they're pretty much just licensing uh bbc's broadcast which i've never actually taken the time to listen to it is it Be, how did how I, does I, it compare to like it's good yeah because i don't know because because we don't have access to iplayer in the united states <laughs> Uh, You've heard what Jack's like We don't have to wait seven years to get a digital distro service for F1. (laughs) Yeah, we get that literally in a couple months. (laughs) Yes, which is, it's going to be real great. We don't know anything about pricing. Um, We apparently hear Netflix is going to be involved with this somehow. Uh, No, no, because Netflix does not have any infrastructure for live streaming. Apparently... Uh, related note that they have a deal for content from net that for like for Netflix, but it's not clear what it is at all. It's probably going to be more than just the Senna movie on the video <laughs> stream. Yeah, they needed to get the rights from FOM themselves to even air Senna. <laughs> I, I like Senna was on Netflix because that's how I watched Senna the first time. Same here. That's all I. That's also how I watched the uh, the documentary faster, uh, the MotoGP documentary. And I want to think. Oh man, they've got to get some more. They've got to get like one of the uh, Isle of Man TT documentaries on that thing. Like that would be so lit. Like, uh, oh yeah, we were talking about this last night when a bunch of us were watching WWE. Imagine like if there was F1 reality programming on F1 streaming service. Oh my god, yo. <laughs> Zoe, 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 since I know you are very much invested in the invest- Amazing Race Season 30, just for two guys, <laughs> what would be what would be the ideal Formula One reality TV show? Oh, God. I forgot who brought this up, but because the WWE has their own show called Ride Along, where you follow two of the wrestlers as they travel from venue to venue in different cities. It's basically like... It's as it's as close to them having like, uh, like a podcast anthology series with video from within like a car. Like, imagine if Formula One had that. But it's like, how many of the drivers actually like travel together? 
This is why I love Off the Grid on NBC Sports with Will Butson and Jason Swales. Like, that's a good show. If that can continue in some form after this TV deal is over, that would be, like, absolutely ideal. Because because what few episodes they produce every year are great. Here's the other thing. You know how IndyCar's had IndyCar 36, where they've, like, followed the driver for a day? They wanted to do one with F1. They filmed one with Sebastian. Uh, and then yes and no, like or they wanted to do it with Sebastian and it never happened. Like because they couldn't get access for that uh-huh. amount of time, and like the production would have involved like a lot of license footage. Like I, I, I think eventually they put one out, but it's like it was none of their own footage. It was like uh-huh. footage provided by the team mm-hmm. and other stuff. Was, like they just couldn't was... get. They couldn't get the time to do it. It's Vettel at testing. That was literally what they ended up with. Yeah. But they could, like, Liberty, do it themselves. Like, like we, get a, uh, we could get a reality show of being a Red Bull Junior. Because we've, heard, <laughs> because we've made the conjecture of all the horror stories that we've heard, and I feel like, you know, in this atmosphere, we're like, last chance you... <laughs> hard knocks <laughs> yes where that's such a where no, those no, are huge hits like that would be great in no, a no, sort guys, of perverse guys. way as well who wants to be a red bull driver fastest no, fingers don't first don't make it a game show please don't make it a game show but i have a feeling like if reality tv and you're talking red bull there's only one driver who's going to be perfect for that daniel ricardo in australia film him doing crazy shit easy million <laughs> views first episode no, we need him oh on my da- god, Daniel! Daniel Ricardo doing a nature safari show. No, let's get him on Dance with the Stars. Oh my god! Yeah, that's right. ESPN's tied with ABC now. We could have. Oh yeah, la- that have- was like from Formula Money's Christian Slit. Apparently, uh, uh, apparently the deal with MV, like the deal with uh, with ESPN, also will probably most likely feature uh like f1 drivers and other like walt disney company related products oh please give us a disney animated series (laughs) i I want to see an f1 driver in the mcu in the marvel cinematic universe but we already have james hunt as thor (laughs) oh my god Am I wrong, or am I wrong? And we already have, like, Nikki Lauda as a supervillain. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Don't we already have, um... Wasn't Ryan Hunter Ray in one of the Disney Kids? Yes, yes, he was in one of the Disney Kids shows earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And we've previously had the late Dan Weldon in the Hot Wheels show as well. We had Danica Patrick in Sonic and All-Star, Sega All-Stars Racing Transformed for multiple consoles in a six-wheeled indie car that also turns into a boat and an airplane. Oh my god. Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed is the most underrated karting title of our generation. I don't care what anybody says. You want a realistic karting experience? Sod Project Cars. Sega Sonic (laughs) All-Stars. I think that's what it's called. Mario Kart. Mario Kart. Come on. Mario Kart doesn't have cars. Their cart's transforming into boats. (laughs) Oh my 
like rest my case, y'all. Um, what else is there to talk about? Oh, oh, Charlie, it's uh, it's, it's time. time. It's time. It's absolutely time because Schmidt Peterson Motorsport made the announcement last week. Cue it up. I'm gonna throw it up. You need to break it down for me, big man. Robert Wickens is gonna race for Schmidt Peterson Motorsport in 2018 alongside James Hinchcliffe. Team A. Yeah, <laughs> this is a big freaking deal, eh? The plot wickens. <laughs> the plot wickens. Hashtag the plot wickens. Um, Robert Wickens got this kind of opportunity uh, last year in a in pre, in test in off season testing, and that sort of turned into a uh, what we thought was going to be a race debut. When Mikhail Lotion started to have his uh, sponsorship issues, question mark. <laughs> and now it's turned into a full-time racing drive because Wickens is going to be out of the DTM, was going to be out of the DTM by 2018 anyway because Mercedes were going to leave. And Robert Wickens does have a single-seater pedigree. What Schmidt-Peterson done is essentially trade one former Formula Renault 3.5 champion for another. Robert Wickens, um, a very accomplished single-seater driver, has been doing really awesome things for, in DTM for the past six years for Mercedes-AMG, um, gets his shot in IndyCar and an all-Canadian team with the returning James Hinchcliffe. It's the first Canadian team in 14 years, first all-Canadian IndyCar lineup in 14 years, and with drivers who people actually kind of like, more or less. So you're saying people didn't yeah. like Paul Tracy? That's... I'm not saying that. But I'm, not, not <laughs> I'm saying, I'm that, saying that people like Paul Tracy, but a lot of the people that I know of that like Paul Tracy are probably people that I don't want to hang out with anymore for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, um, uh, Paul. No, but not but, not saying it. You know what I, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying Paul Tracy did have words about the lineup. In Racer Magazine, the West Hill native said both Hinch and Wickens were in the Forsyth camp when he was there in the in the cart in the late cart days, uh, when I was there, and I watched them come through karting. I seen their seen their careers take off and saw that they had tremendous potential. Hinch chose to focus on America and became a winner at every stage, and the doors were never open for Wickens in the same way. I think he was just too young. He was 16 competing in the Atlantics and just didn't get the kind of looks that Hinch did. So he went off to Europe. And now that he's back, he's he's here with a lot of success that comes with being a factory DTM driver for Mercedes. And frankly, it's a big jump to, Indy, to go IndyCar racing. But he's joining SPM with a ton of experience as a professional. They can, I think, do a lot for Canadian drivers in IndyCar. Wickens has five wins. He's won a race in ev in all of his last five seasons, um, including this past season in 2017. He's finished in the top ten of the championship uh, ten times, three times in what is um, arguably sort of a grab bag of a championship. Um, again, he won a Formula Renault 3.5 Series title, beating out the likes of Alexander Rossi um, and one Jean-Eric Verne. Daniel Ricciardo was in that championship, just to name a few. Brendan Hartley was in it as well. Yeah. You know, the guys the guys got serious open wheel chops. It is going to, and you know, and as Zoe can attest to, 
Um, there was a time where IndyCar bosses would take a chance on a DTM driver from the Mercedes-Benz camp, and I would say it turned out pretty all right for one Dario Franchitti. Yes. Who'd already decided to turn around, previously turn around to Jackie Stewart to say, yeah, I'm not doing open wheel anymore, I'm off to DTM. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Tracy also adds that he thinks that, the, like, that the fact that both of them are in the sport on the same team will do a lot to grow IndyCar in Canada. Not get probably he mentions not probably get them more races, but he's like specifically he hopes that this will expand TV coverage in Canada for IndyCar. That's that's essentially true. Like, hey, if you can only have you know Toronto, you should at least be able to have like you know, reliable TV partner. That's been one of the complaints about IndyCar coverage in the United States, in the United Kingdom, that it's garbage. I don't know how true this is. Zoe, is the, uh, is the F1, is the IndyCar coverage in overseas good? Well, to be honest, what, what we get is, we get your coverage, like, it's just when you go to ad breaks, depending what time the race is at, either we'll go to ads as well, or we'll have somebody sort of talk while your ads are on, and then it'll go back to the actual commentators. The one problem is, it's on BT Sports, which, unless you've already got BT, in which case you might have it as a package at a good deal, you have to try and get it via Virgin or Sky, and I think it kind of gets, starts to get a bit expensive. Golly, uh, UK oh, you, you UK premium television is a mess. Again, I've been I've been following long enough to remember when IndyCar actually used to live stream all their their races online. Oh, back in the versus days. That was before versus. Before versus, like what? It was when they went, it was when they went to versus that it stopped. Like, hmm. Mm. It was round about then. So I know, like, because I watched it in two thousand six, two thousand seven, and I think. It's wait, wait, what? Somehow they were able to have like a video streaming in two thousand six when YouTube was like started yeah, that you remember, year. You remember the days of Champ Car Race Director? Like, like I would beg my dad. To, uh, to lend me his credit card to get subscriptions because that was the only way I could watch Champ Car because the television packages first on Spike and then on yeah we had we had we had professional auto racing on a channel that marketed itself as the first network for men for all about toxic masculinity and boobs and also American Championship Car Racing. Uh, we're not calling it the halo we're calling it the safety cage oh god that's an actual thing they're thinking about yes according to motorsporttotal.com oh no 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 it's been published on motorsport.com period like apparently quote a senior f1 source told motorsport.com we're supposed to be a gladiatorial sport and then we give the device (laughs) an angelic name we have various we have various options for a new name but it could be something like safety cage. I'm like, just be transparent and say we couldn't pay Microsoft enough to get the trademark for the name Halo. 
don't come out with this crap. Because <laughs> it makes you sound like you're being run by Vincent Kennedy McMahon. We're going to call it the safety cage. And we're going to have a card that's sponsored by Dude Wipes. Mm. <laughs> anyway, used to IndyCar would stream it live on their website, only instead of having the actual like TV commentary, it was their uh, radio commentary you had instead. Oh, so you got the sounds, the Indian yeah, yeah, you got the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network. Yes, you had Mikey King. That's, that sounds wonderful. I wish we had that option at some times. Yeah. Because what is, is, is Paul Page still doing the radio network coverage? No, he is not. Oh. I believe he has stepped down and retired. I'm just saying, like, I would take it over, over, you know. Um, well, this race is being broadcast on radio, which means it's being transmitted over airwaves at shortwave and longwave frequencies. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> Um, we have an important update on the Williams driver decision. It won't be until after Abu Dhabi. Um, what was the point of Felipe Massa's sign off again? I don't know. Oh, jeez, Felipe, just go back to the apartment, hang out with your buddies Daniel and Pastor, and your kid. You will be much happier for this. Um, King, did you happen to catch any of the NASCAR race after the U.S. Grand Prix went down? Uh, no, I just know I, I, I just know who won the race and the playoff implications of said race. Right. right. So, Ron so Jimmy Johnson you, wasn't going to yeah. make it through to the playoffs because apparently I saw him on one of his spins, but apparently he spun twice. But Yeah, Jimmy Johnson spun about 5,000 times and he still made the playoffs because Kyle Larson, who was effectively a lock to make the playoffs, he had four wins in the regular season – blows an engine in an elimination race and he still has a chance because jimmy johnson can't keep the car straight and then we have a pile up towards the end of the race which takes out matt kenseth but that doesn't take out matt kenseth because they had one too many guys over the wall while the car was on the the five minute repair clock and that effectively disqualified him from the race and knocked him out of championship contention. That wasn't complicated in the least. Adam had the right idea. <laughs> I, I think he did. He did. This is this is not the first time that Matt Kenseth's uh, championship hopes have come crashing down around him at Kansas. If you'll recall, it was just a couple of years ago where he got a little push from Joey Logano effectively escalated into something very ridiculous by the time we got to Martinsville Speedway in the Virginia. Yes, and that included using a NASCAR stock car as a weapon. But but that was that was for good means. The means were good. <laughs> the means were good. The process was bad, but the means, oh the means, they were they were good. But I do also have to mention the fact that still in contention for the playoffs is one driver who has yet to win a single race in his career. Awesome chase <laughs> from the same damn place. 
Yeah. He could he could genuinely win this thing without ever winning a race, which is crazy. <laughs> he he is he is the only driver still in the playoffs without a race win this season. Who's uh, Chase, Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott is in his second full season of Cup Series competition. He still has not won a race. Ryan Blaney has more wins than him. <laughs> yes, Ryan Blaney has more wins than him. And Ryan Blaney has as many wins this year as Kevin Harvick. And they have half the wins that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. also got eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, this is kind of a common theme for the state of Mississippi in general. Yes, and we do also have to mention that Kyle Larson has four race wins this year and is eliminated from the playoffs. Yeah, in case you thought that NASCAR could not get away from the controversies of people having shit luck engine failures at an elimination race. Hi, Martin Truett Jr. in 2016. How are you doing? Whoa, whoa, Thank whoa. goodness he doesn't have to worry about yeah, that yeah. this year. Yeah, don't jinx that. Don't jinx that. Well, you didn't jinx Ocon's yeah. record, so, I mean... Everything's going good. Hey, <laughs> my, my feet are soaking wet, but my cuffs are bone dry. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. <laughs> oh, goodness. Goodness gracious. Um, I want to talk about the race you all missed. The Super Formula Jaff Grand Prix at Suzuka. I'm, I'm pretty sure um, it was impossible to, to make it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it so much happened that you just could not describe what had happened because the race did not happen. Um, the race actually did not happen. Like, I knew going into this that it was going to rain. Um, I had no idea how much it was going to rain. I had no idea that Typhoon Lan was going to make landfall over the weekend as a Category 5 storm. Now, I do want to point this out that, you know, as it's already made landfall, we've already had seven people dead on the island of Hanju alone, which is very, very bad, and that's pretty much the main reason why uh, Japan Race Promotion decided to cancel the event after qualifying. They didn't run any of the races. They just ran one qualifying session to clear the weekend over, and declared Hiroki Ishiura the 2017 champion by half point over Pierre Gasly, which caused some consternation because Pierre Gasly effectively gave up a chance to race in the United States Grand Prix so that he couldn't race at all in Japan for a shot at the title, which that's not really going to make too much of a difference. I mean, he's, his Formula 1 career is already pretty much set in stone. Yep. It would have been awesome if he had won the championship, but even then, it's not like he's in dire dire straits and you know it's been brought up well why didn't they just reschedule an event but you have to consider the fact that in super formula a lot of drivers are double booked pierre gasly is in formula one now felix rosenquist has a drive in formula e a lot of drivers have rides in the world endurance championship and in super gt so yes they could make move the race back but you're running out of dates where you could conceivably have it to where you don't have any clashes with anything else and potentially take out any one of the top championship contenders uh, again. Yeah, like, I, I have a quote here from the, you know, the chief of the pr promotion company who runs, uh, you know, Super Formula, and it, quote, it was a race that the fans had high expectations for, with everyone's attention on the championship battle, 
we decided to cancel the race after consultation with the teams. Although we reviewed an alternative date, we decided that it would be difficult to hold during this season, and we have finalized the rankings with Saturday's qualifying result. In making that decision, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank everyone for their understanding and gratefulness to all our fans. Right, and especially where we've already had a six hours of Fuji that's been affected by fog, and the Motegi race was very, very wet. And, uh, you know, as, as unfair as it is to say, you know, when we think of Suzuka now, as unfair as it is, some people cannot shake the head take the fact out of it had that when it rains heavy at Suzuka, they think of bad things. In fact, the hell in fact, we remember the last time that a medical helicopter could not take off from Suzuka circuit. And we were very upset about what happened afterwards for obvious reasons. So no, they couldn't have run the race in those conditions. I mean, yeah, they could have, but ultimately it would have been just what? A few meaningless laps behind the safety car and no passing and not really a race and then afterwards everybody's just stranded because the roads are flooded and impassable yep just a whole bunch of sadness we're still like i didn't want to entertain the thoughts that like people had saying they just didn't want a foreign driver to win They've already had two foreign champ. They've already had two Frenchmen win the title. They've had thirteen of their champions come from foreign countries, including multiple drivers have won the twenty four hours of Le Mans. This is not. This is not like chasing down Sadaharu O's uh, home run record in the in overseas. Yeah. This is about a situation where it would have been entirely unsafe for anybody taking part to run this race as it was scheduled. There was just no way they could have pushed it back any further. Yeah. Like, or it'd be like, we're racing under snowfall, guys. I just, uh, I, I don't get it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I, I don't, I know a lot of people probably don't know much about Hiroki Ishiura. Like, he was probably, like, the least likely championship leader to win this thing. But this is his second title in the last three years, and he's just turned 36. Like, he's stepping up his game at a time where a lot of other drivers are falling off. And he's won the Suzuka 1,000 kilometers twice, and he's been a top driver in his sport for, like, about a decade now. He was in consideration for an LP1 drive at Toyota, and he was consistent all season. He finished every race in the points. Like, that's a, that's a, very, that's a very worthy champion. In my estimation. And Pierre Gasly to come within half a point of that as a 21-year-old rookie, mind you, that's not bad at all. And in a Honda-powered car, no less. And you don't need to tell people how much Honda been on Struggle Street. I'm absolutely expecting Toro Rosso Honda to outpoint McLaren Renault in the first season of their arrangements. <laughs> I also feel pretty bad for Felix Rosenquist because he had an outside outside shot as well. But you got to feel like he's going to be back. Like if he if he can make that Formula E and Super Formula range work again, he he's going to be a champion in both. We call him the driver for hire, not just not just for the meme and the culture, because he's actually really really yeah. good at driving a lot of other stuff. <sighs> 
I'm it, I'm just I'm just ashamed that I didn't have a chance to. Uh, it would have been so fun to watch the race, but you know, my biggest concern was that you know everybody that was at the event you know could get home safely, and trust me, especially in light of recent events, you know, North America got shelled by a hat trick of really ugly hurricanes. So I think, under those circumstances, I kind of think. I do not blame the promoters and the track for canceling this event one bit. Especially lately. <sighs> Man. We, uh... Are we... Do we have... King. Yes. Do we have any other breaking news that we need to cover? Any sort of pressing well, stuff well, before we get out and enjoy the rest of your week? We do. We do have kind of follow-up news but it's slightly unrelated in terms of Renault's expansion and the hopes of becoming a championship contending team in formula one okay okay yeah um so we we all know the tried and true practice of building a formula one dynasty you get the staff from the previous dynasty and Renault is having a bit of trouble doing that because apparently Mercedes has signed on most of their staff to gardening to gardening leaves that can be up to two years long. Well, that's that's fine. You know, they can just put the lawnmowers in the shed. Uh, <laughs> they can put the hedge trimmers in the shed, and then they could show up to work. They, they don't need to wait two years. You could just you could just park the lawnmower in the garage. You know stop drinking beers and just get on with it yeah like Renault are in this situation where uh, according to Cyril Abitabool like they, they've upgraded all their facilities they have they upgraded their wind tunnel they've increased the size of their of their uh, of their CFD computer cluster they have everything except the staff because they yeah, they're basically they're basically doing everything they can to get to where they should have been by this time. Yeah, so they have everything except people with Formula One experience. They feel somewhat confident with the the young staff that have no F one experience at all. But you like you need to have people with experience about how you know fluid dynamics works in you know race situations. How you know stuff that you just can't learn without experience. Is this karma for, I don't know if you believe in karma, but do you feel that this is, um, this is, um, what's it, I guess it's, I guess it's karma for what they did in hiring away old what's-his-face. Uh, Budkowski from the FIA? Yeah. Like, apparently the, the other teams didn't have a problem with Renault, like, hiring him, but they wanted the gardening leave to be, you know, about a year. And, like, I, I know why Mercedes makes their gardening leave so long. Because it's less likely that, you know, other teams will hire away their staff. Meaning that their championship dynasty could last even longer. This is why in pro wrestling, big companies have, have uh, X amount of day no-compete clauses. Yes, yes. Because they know if you just show up on the on a competitive program the following week, um, bad things can happen. Oh my god. 
quote unquote, I'm the real world champion. I mean, Brendan Hartley can make that claim now. <laughs> I mean, he can make that claim in just a couple of weeks. Um, Zoe, we do uh, unfortunately have some 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 sad, somewhat sad news for the world of uh, American open wheel racing apparently yes a long time Indy 500 car entrant Lola Follestead who brought ja- Janet Guffrey to the race in 1976 as the first female to be entered died on Sunday at 99 yes indeed he um Volstead um that did have some pretty awesome drivers of course brought janet guthrie her first drive in the her first competitive drive in the indianapolis 500 but i'm looking through some of the names that uh volstead did had driven for i think of guys like kale yarborough that's a name i recognize uh three-time nascar cup series champion dick simon very respected team owner in his day um this is an interesting story that i heard of um a story that delights trivia butts the most is that a Volstead entry did once actually qualify second. It was at Riverside International Raceway, California for a 300-mile road race at the end of the 1967 USAC season. The car ran second for the first 23 laps behind Dan Gurney, who went on to win, and it passed Gurney for the lead for a single lap before breaking a valve. The driver that day was 1965 Indianapolis 500 winner and two-time Formula One world champion Jim Clark. It was his last IndyCar race. And, like, the Volstead cars were not well-funded. Like, like yes, uh, Volstead, and, like, Volstead, his cars started 15 Indianapolis 500s, but he participated in 19. That means four times he failed to make the field of 33. Mm. Oh, goodness, that's, that is a, that is a pretty tough, that is a pretty tough blast to swallow. Um, yeah. Do we have do we have any other stories to close us out before we go and enjoy the rest of our week? Any other IndyCar news or are we speak oh, speak now or forever hold your peace? We we did have that raft of IndyCar news that came out over the weekend that kind of got brushed under the rug with F1 where uh ooh, just to, I'll just run down everything and we just go back to what sticks. We have uh, Carlos Munoz knows he's not coming back to Foyt next year. He's not sure. Ooh. He's not sure if he'll get an IndyCar ride. It's looking more and more likely that he'll be racing prototypes in IMSA next year. Uh, That's fine. That's fine. Mark Miles confirms that Verizon will no longer be IndyCar's title sponsor at the end of, at the end of 2018. Also, not Zoe. Zoe, what would you have as the new title sponsor of IndyCar? I don't know. It's kind of. It depends on whether they want to focus more on America or they want to try and branch out more. Because as good as Verizon was for them, they're kind. They're not known really outside. Because they don't operate outside of America. Uh huh. They they're under under other names, and by the time I found out that Verizon worked with Vodafone, they'd actually separated 
Yeah, because that's the way most corporate companies work. They're very they're actually very few multinational companies. It's gonna be, it'd be very hard to get a company as your series title sponsor that operates outside the United States. Mm-hmm. Penske's confirmed that they're st- they'll still have Verizon though. Yes, they'll still have Verizon as sponsors on their cars. Um what is it? Oh, Takuma Sato got his face on the board runner trophy. Yes. Neat. Yes. Al- Alonzo Alonzo announces that he will return for the Indianapolis 500, but not in 2018. Uh, but Nando is probably going to do the Rolex 24 at Daytona, but you know who absolutely is? Paul DeResta! Paul E.D. Okay. <laughs> He's go. He's gonna get that McLaren drive, of course, because you know Zach Brown runs United Autosport. Who's fielding? Is totally fielding a car for Fernando Alonso. Yeah. Um. Gosh, what else is there? Kyle Kaiser. Kyle Kaiser has a four race IndyCar series plan with Yellow Coast Racing in 2018. That's not full time, but that's still pretty doggone good. Yes, and right. Also, at the uh, speaking of. uh, Road to Indy, uh, the Pro Mazda cars were revealed last weekend. Yay! The Pro Mazda cars look neat. Maybe they might have more than six of them in a race. Oh my God. Well, we had 12 and testing them, so fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, indeed. Um, there is also Jensen Button related news, apparently. Jensen Button it has gone on got a record at saying he's going to race in Japan next year. It's most likely going to be in Super GT. The problem is that we don't know who it's going to be for it because you would think it's obviously going to be with Honda, but hold the phone. He's going to be a McLaren ambassador next year, and they've cut ties with Honda. But you know who they do have ties with? Renault. And you do know who does ties with Renault? Nissan. <laughs> yes, it is a long road, which is also looking bright for Nissan because... In sometime in the future, not next season, it is confirmed that Renault will be leaving Formula E. But don't fear, Nissan is filling the void. Speaking of former Mercedes DTM drivers getting rides, Eduardo Matara has signed with Venturi Formula E. And I think that leaves how many open seats does that leave on the Formula E grid? Andresses. Still trying to just just one either. seat. <laughs> just one seat. And it's probably going to go to a BMW Junior or a BMW Junior. It's like... And Robin also... Crazy thing and keep Robin. And also, at Mar- from Mark Miles, who was at the Circuit of the Americas, he reiterates that by the end of the year, IndyCar will test the arrow screen on a DW12. Ooh, buddy. Yep. And I, I have a feeling, like, the moment... The moment that the IndyCar... That the IndyCar series makes an arrow screen race-worthy, Formula 1's gonna pick it up. Like, without a doubt. They've we'll have to see like about this. I think most people are just excited about the prospect of, of IndyCar finally having a race at Coda. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that'd be interesting if they can make that happen. They'll probably, they might lose Texas, but, like, 
And I'm sure there will be absolutely no track limits controversies whatsoever. <laughs> oh, man. I love Texas. I, like, as big a shit show as it was this year, that's what makes me, like, actually really appreciate Texas and really appreciate the racing. You know, I'd love to have Dakota on the calendar, but if it means taking away Texas Motor Speedway, I don't want it anywhere near the calendar. The ironic thing is, though, Eddie's cracking up his thing about the possibility of quota. He didn't mind when it was the Houston street race. Yeah. Which was a double mm. Because, uh, like, it didn't affect him. Because back then when there was, like, well, when the Houston street race first started as a champ car race, the, the IRL went to Texas Motor Speedway twice in a year. So it, like, didn't affect him at all. Hmm. Interesting insights. I also want to leave. I also want to leave on this that Jensen Button's ties to Nissan actually go back a bit deeper because it was in the 2014-2015 offseason we were sure Jensen Button was going to retire. He got it. He got an offer to drive for Nissan in the JTRLM Nismo. You <laughs> had so much potential in a Super Bowl commercial, and they were driven by Ian Martin, bro. Yeah. Oh, and ev- ev- everyone wanted to drive you until you actually went on track. I hate this. And on that, and then on that completely bleak bombshell, um, I think it may be time to wrap things up for this jam-packed edition of Motorsport 101. Places you can find us, of course, we are on youtube.com slash motorsport101, where you could say one Andre Harrison's video blog about the United States Grand Prix, which we talked about earlier today. Um, we are on Facebook. We are on all sorts of social media, including Twitter, and we're on SoundCloud, and you're probably listening to us on SoundCloud or on Apple Podcasts. If you want to back us financially, we have a Patreon. If you want to follow us on Twitter, why why would you do this? <laughs> you want to follow us on our personal twitter that's a bad idea that's a very bad idea um um if um, i do uh i do just i i, I want to thank y'all for being here on the show um one andre will be back next week and we will catch you on the next episode of motorsport 101 episode 110 so for our wonderful guest charles Reginald, thank you Charlie, for being a part of the show this week. Thank you for having me on. It was great to be back. Yeah, and thank you, Zoe, and thank you, King, for being on here. So, for Charles Regible, for Zoe Hamilton, for Ryan Eric King, and for the belated Andre Harrison, I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long for now. We'll see you on the next episode of Motorsport 101. Later, y'all. Bye. to destroy the career of Max Verstappen. <laughs> they've got the they've got the climate control machines that prevented the race from getting rained out <laughs> because they knew the Red Bull 
We're just gonna have the and we're gonna have the car in the wet conditions. And they stopped the raid at 10 a.m. That's because Ferrari controls the heart machines. They control the climate. They've got the chemtrails in the air. Bill Clinton tried to stop him, but he wasn't successful. Did you see that podium ceremony? Bill Clinton is a lizard man. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> We're done. We're done. Shut it off. <laughs> I sense I may have gone too far. <laughs>